Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way and then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Garden Church Podcast. Good morning, church. It's so good to be with you on this Sunday morning. I love you. I hope you're doing well. Um, I am so excited to preach today, but I'm also excited to be with you in person uh, next week, October 11th, for our in-person gathering that's outdoors Make sure you sign up for that. Can't wait to be with you next week. It's our 11-year anniversary. Come on, church. Uh, I'm ready to preach. And this series has been so exciting for me because it's just simply defining and articulating the things that we are called to be as a church, who we are as a church. Last week, I gave you a challenge that if you want to challenge the deformation that's happening through our culture in order to learn to be formed by the way and the word of God, you must learn to relax in Jesus. I think we should do an entire series on this because it's so good, so we might. But I'm excited to be with you today, um, and I'm thankful for what we get to talk about, which you'll learn about in just a second. But I've been thinking about the complexities and the problems of our culture, and it's breaking my heart. We are seeing a division, an anger, a despair, and real pain like never before. 
And it seems like the world is caught up in trying to find a solution to its own problems. And I've been thinking about this, like what is the solution? What's the solution for all the complexities and the problems that we face as a society? Morality continues to decay. We can expect little morality from our leadership in this country, from politicians to producers, from pastors and priests. We see scandal after scandal, manipulation, greed, financial dishonesty, sexual abuse, and hypocrisy. In our society, in our culture, anxiety is an all-time high. Depression is an all-time high. Addictions are an all-time high. Suicide is the second leading cause of death between ages of 10 and 34. Our nation is hurting. Our nation is divided because of politics. And this division has only gotten worse over, because of COVID-19. We demonize each other. We don't listen. We don't learn. We don't engage in, res- in respectful discourse. Not just that, one in four children live without a father in their home. Since the pandemic, 54 million Americans, including 18 million children, are experiencing food insecurity in 2020. People are going hungry in the United States. And during the pandemic, the wealthiest people in the world have made more money. Billionaires have increased. And we have seen, uh, for the first time in history, a company become valued at over $2 trillion dollars. This is the U.S. Not just that, in 2020, more people are associated to no religious affiliation or spiritual belief than any other time. What's going on? Well, in the secular world, this has been called progress. We have uh, experienced this secular worldview moving society culture towards progress. But in reality, We know that this narrative is a myth. It's a uh, a progress is a myth because the crisis uh, um, is is connected to uh, history that humanity has attempted to build and progress through history and try to fix itself without the presence of God. The solution is, is not a program or a policy. It's not the government. It's not the systems that we can develop. It's fundamental human failure to recognize what is needed. You see, the flaw we all experience today is humanity's attempt to live life without the presence of God. The solution to all of the world's problems is simple. And, And I know this is going to be overly simplifying things, but you see this in the Bible, and I want to get to that. The solution is simply God's presence. God's presence with humanity. God's presence with creation. This is the way the world was designed to to function and flourish. We were designed for shalom, but the only way that peace and wholeness can be experienced is in right relationship with God. Romans chapter 8, Paul argues this. He says, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Paul makes this unbelievable argument about what happens when we live with Christ because of Jesus, what happened on the cross, and as followers of Jesus, who we become through his Holy Spirit. But he he just 
throws this in there. He says, look, it's not just about you, children of God. Creation is frustrated. Creation itself is waiting to be liberated and brought into the same glory as the children of God who come into glory through the presence of God. Creation has been subject to evil because of sin. And he's saying creation is waiting for renewal and renewal will will come through the church, the children of God. Renewal will come through the church in partnership with the Holy Spirit. He says in Romans chapter eight, verse 11, he says, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal, mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. And then verse 14, he says, for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The world is waiting to be liberated. And who gets to do the liberating? Who gets to participate in the work of healing creation? The church. We do. We get the privilege to partner with God in the redemption and renewal and reconciliation of all things, of healing creation. How? How does this happen? The short answer is through a life lived, empowered, and baptized in the Holy Spirit. The fourth anchor we are anchoring our church in The fourth answer to the question, what caused the riot in Ephesus, is simply this, a life empowered by the Spirit. Let's go back to Acts 19 for a second. We're caught up in this beautiful story of the early church, a church located in Ephesus in the Roman Empire where it ends, chapter 19 ends with a riot that that happens in the city. People are, are rioting because of the church. And we've been going backwards to, to answer the question, what caused the riot? Now, let me remind you, Ephesus was the epicenter for Artemis worship. Artemis was the god of sexuality, the god of the hunt, the god of fertility and prosperity. In Ephesus, we see that um, it was the pagan capital for sexual pleasure, the worship of the body and beauty and fertility. Artemis, its temple, um, was the banking capital for Asia. And every year, there was this massive festival where over a million people would come to the city of about 250,000 in order to worship Artemis. Ephesus was, uh, had excuse me, a, a superstitious uh, spiritual worldview where they believed the gods were angry and you had to appease the gods through sacrifice, um, through all, uh, giving finances and money and energy. And so they lived their lives by worshiping all the various deities in Ephesus. uh, Some scholars write to be Ephesian was to worship Artemis. So part of being a part of the culture of Ephesus was to worship Artemis. Now remember, the church becomes so influential that a riot erupts at the end of this chapter. Now what happens at the end of the chapter um, happens after two and a half years of ministry. And we see that the church, as we said, lived as a countercultural community. It was... uh, Um, the church had a courageous missional presence and it was formed by the way and the word of God. And now we see its origin story that the church was also empowered by the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? All right, a bunch of review. Acts chapter 19, we're gonna start with verse one. We see what happens in the church. While Paul was at Corinth, Paul, Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. 
So Paul asked, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. So Paul said, John's baptism was about repentance. He told uh, the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, um, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And there were about 12 men in all. So Paul goes to the city. There's 12 disciples, 12 people who believe in God. Paul goes to this mini small group of this small house church and he, he notices something and he realizes, hey, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they're like, we don't even know there is one. And then he says, well, what were you baptized in? And he says, John the Baptist. John was the one preparing for Jesus. And it was about life preparation, transformation in order to experience the one coming, that is Jesus. So Paul corrects their theology. He baptized them in the name of, of Jesus. And then he lays hands on them and the Holy Spirit comes. And it says that they begin to prophesy and speak in tongues. That's Luke's kind of shorthand for for the effects of what happened after people are filled with the Holy Spirit. They speak in tongues and they prophesy. The gifts are present. So the origin story for the church in Ephesus is there's a small group of 12 disciples who are filled with the Holy Spirit, the presence of God. And this begins the process of renewal of an entire city. We will see Ephesus transformed because of the church. In other words, God's presence is always the key to cultural transformation. There is no progress without his presence. There is no progress without his presence. This progress with the presence of God is called renewal. And this is what we are about as a church. I love what Mark Sayer says. He says, when our being radiates him, we become a healing presence in the flawed and failing human systems of the world. Renewal then is not achieved through an act of our human courage or nerve. Instead, it is God's great business in the world. He is moving history toward his ends, the filling of creation with his presence. He tend, we tend to focus on tasks of renewal through the lens of self strategizing and dreaming about how we can create a better future. Being an agent of renewal is joining God in what he is doing. If we are to participate in his renewal, we must understand his plan to fulfill, to fill the world with his presence again. God is bringing about his purpose on earth. Richard and Henry Blackaby counsel us to live a God-centered life You must focus on God's purposes, not your own plans. Try to see things from God's perspective rather than your distorted human view. When God starts to do something in the world, he takes the initiative to tell someone what he is doing. Out of his grace, God involves his people in accomplishing his purposes. So when we learn to trust in Jesus and relax and learn to live his way of life, that will lead us to doing life the way he did it, which is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't do any ministry until he was filled with the Holy Spirit. So when we live this God-centered life, it will lead us to an empowered life by his Spirit, which is for the purpose of his purposes. 
The purpose of being filled with the presence of God is to then live God's purpose out in the world, to live out his desires, to fulfill his desires and dreams for creation. A spirit-empowered life is always missional. You see, I grew up in the church and I left the church for a season, but then I came back. And I came back and my entire experience in the church was uh, lacked an environment where the spirit of God was talked about and where the gifts were practiced, where people were trained in the way of the spirit. I've shared this story, but it wasn't until I went to London where I met a leader who was a witness to the things of the spirit. And he prayed for me and I was filled with the presence of God. Like never before, I, was, I encountered God. I was baptized in the presence of God and it did something inside of me. I saw the world differently and it messed me up in all the right ways. I was undone and As a result of that experience, when I was 22 years old, it led me to hearing God's voice and believing it was God and experiencing God in new ways, where my wife and I, at the age of 23 and 24 years old, moved from Newport Beach to Long Beach 12 years ago this October to start a church, a new community, as a a 24 and 23-year-old to launch a church. That's crazy. Why on earth would 20-somethings want to start churches? But this is what God does. God puts crazy ideas in, uh, in people's heads and hearts who are willing to obey him because he's looking for people who are filled with his presence, and he will lead those people, no matter how old or how young they are, to his purposes for his purposes, because he's looking for obedient, yielding men and women who will follow him, filled with his presence. It reminds me of Billy Graham. Not my story. I could never compare myself to the great evangelist, but this idea of being captured by the presence of God. One of my favorite stories comes from a journal from a famous Welsh preacher named Stephen Olford. And he says uh, uh, when he met, he, he invited Billy Graham to come out to Wales to preach. Um, And Olford writes, uh, Billy preached to a small crowd. And he says, uh, Billy's preaching at this first meeting was ordinary and not the Welsh kind of preaching. At the end, Billy gave an invitation with a response. But Olford said the, the response was not particularly great. So Billy Graham preaches a sermon and the response was not particularly great. Any preachers out there, can I get an amen? Amen. Okay. The next day, this is what he writes, the two of them met together, having spent the morning talking in the afternoon. The two men came before the Lord and entered into his presence, worshiping and praying to him. Billy began to fully express his deep desire of his heart to serve God to the full and be completely given over to him. Olford said that at that point, I quote, all heaven broke loose in the dreary little room. It was like Jacob laying hold of God and crying out, Lord, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. When they paused from praying out, um, Billy said to Olford, my heart is so flooded with the Holy Spirit. They were so overcome with joy, they laughed together and they began to weep. Billy began to walk back and forth shouting out loud, I have it, I have it, I'm filled, I'm filled. This is the turning point of my life. This will revolutionize my ministry. That night, Billy Graham was due to speak at a large chapel nearby. And Olford wrote, when he rose to preach, he was a man absolutely anointed. His impact on the Welsh congregation was so startling. The people came to the front even before Billy uh, gave an invitation. Later, when the invitation was given, Olford wrote, the Welsh listeners jammed the aisles. There was chaos. Practically the entire audience came rushing forward. According to Olford, Graham preached the same sermon 
both times. Olford said, Billy Graham preached the same sermon. One had a not particularly great response. The other was absolute chaos. What was the difference? It was the presence of God. The presence of God. Maybe I should ask, have you been filled with the presence of God? Have you been baptized in the Spirit? Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you want more of God in your life? You see, when the Bible speaks of being filled with the Holy Spirit, it is saying that one is consumed, taken over, impregnated, saturated, complete, and replete with, the, with God's presence and power. To be filled with the Holy Spirit leaves no room to be filled with anything else. Which is why Paul writes in Ephesus to the church we're talking about later, verse 18 of chapter 5, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And then he goes on to talk about the effects of the Holy Spirit. Don't get drunk off wine. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the verb Paul uses means, is better translated to keep on being filled with the Spirit going on being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a continual experience or experiences. This idea of being filled is not once in a lifetime. Yes, I had an encounter back in 2007 uh, with Jesus, but what Paul commands the church to do is to keep on being filled. You as a person, as a follower of Jesus, learning to live the way of Jesus, need to keep on being filled with the presence of God. Ephesians makes the case that the indwelling, the filling, or baptism of the Holy Spirit in the Holy Spirit is an ongoing experience. And the word we use, baptism, is a Greek word that means to dip, immerse, wash, plunge, sink, and overwhelm, and soak in God's presence. So when the writers of the gospel talk about the ministry of Jesus, they say Jesus will immerse, dip, wash, plunge, sink, drench, overwhelm, soak believers in the presence of God. He will plunge believers in the spirit of God so that they will be transformed from the inside out. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, the baptism, excuse me, in the Holy Spirit is the indwelling, empowering, clothing, outpouring, and filling of a believer with the presence of God. Who doesn't want more of him? And Paul argues that we need to regularly be baptized, regularly be filled, regularly be experiencing the presence of God in our life. And this regular indwelling, this regular filling of the presence of God is in direct contrast to what's happening in culture. Paul says, don't get drunk off wine. Instead, be filled with the presence of God. Be filled and keep on being filled. Don't keep on being under the influence of alcohol. Keep on being influenced by the presence of God because culture is immersing you. Culture is baptizing you. Culture is soaking you and washing you in its own power. And that power leads to despair and anxiety and fear and destructive habits and patterns of belief. But Paul says, guys, don't get influenced by wine. Don't get drunk off wine, which leads to debauchery. Now this Again, it's first century context. In the Roman culture, they had drinking parties. They were called symposiums. So imagine coming from a pagan context where when alcohol is present, all you know what to do is to drink until you're drunk, until you, you eat all this food, and then you drink more, and you pass out, and you drink more. That's the purpose of alcohol in the first century. It was to align yourself with the various gods, worshiping your, the food and the alcohol and consuming, and you just did more and more and more. 
It wasn't until the Christians come about where there's moderation, where there's a sense of actually we want to do more than just drink and eat. We want to serve God. Paul's teaching Christians how to interact in the world around them and the command is not to be consumed or under the influence of any other substance other than the presence of God. Now, what he's saying is, is, is clear, like, hey, we can't come under the influence of alcohol. Don't allow alcohol to influence us because that will lead us to destructive behaviors. But there are other legal substances that have power and influence over other foods that do that, that alter our mind and behavior. And, but we are called as a church to be under the influence of God. If Paul were writing the church today, he might say, hey, brothers and sisters, don't be consumed with Netflix, which, which leads to fantasy and distraction. Instead, be consumed with the presence of God. Don't be consumed with politics, which leads to an obsession of power and control. Instead, be consumed with God, which leads to humility and service. Don't be consumed with materialism, which leads to emptiness and discontent. Instead, be consumed with God, which leads to contentment and peace. Don't be obsessed with yourself. Instead, be obsessed with what God thinks, which leads to peace and true identity. I don't know what he would say, but I know he would say there are other powers influencing our mind. And we need to posture ourselves in a place where we are willing to be under the influence of God. Can I get an amen? If we want to see cultural renewal, it starts with you being filled with the presence of God. I remember when John, Pastor John, was filled with the presence of God. We've shared this story so many times, but it was one of those like signs and wonders where he, he's filled with the presence of God and he's rolling around on the ground, crying and speaking in tongues and laughing. And he'd never experienced that before or seen that. And he's just saying over and over again, there's so much love, there's so much love. And that tangible experience with God changed John's life forever. And I was recently reading the journal entry of a young lawyer named Charles Finney, and it reminded me of John's experience. Charles Finney was the the outstanding evangelist of the 19th century who spoke of his experience with God through the Holy Spirit that catapulted him into ministry. He was sitting at his desk and he says the Holy Spirit descended on him with waves and waves of liquid love. He wrote, no words can express the wonderful love that was shed abroad in my heart. I wept aloud with joy and love. I literally bellowed out the unutterable gushings of my heart. I don't know what that is all the time. But I know when I read that journal article of Charles Finney, I want that. I want to experience that. This is all connected, by the way, to what we see in Ephesus. In in Acts chapter 19, it ends with a riot and a revival in the church. There's a riot in Ephesus, but a revival in church. A small group of 12 disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit And the seeds of revival began two and a half years later. We see this epic encounter with society and culture. And this happens throughout history. What happens throughout history is God chooses to use a small creative minority to bring about renewal and revival. God uses a small creative minority of people to bring about transformation of culture. You can be small yet powerful. And the word for this we read is the word remnant. It's almost like the church right now in this moment is being invited into a season 
where we are called to be the remnant. We're not called to be the majority. We're called to be the minority, the remnant community that chooses to live out the way of Jesus for the purpose of transformation of all culture and society in the West. It's defined by Mark Sayers as the remnant, those who are deeply devoted and faithful. Their discipleship is at the core of their being. They're not consumers, but contenders, carrying the lion's share of ministry work in a Christian community. They operate not through a sense of duty, but rather a genuine spirit-filled empowerment. The remnant, I wanna invite you into the small remnant. If you've ever studied the Welsh Revival, which I don't know if you have, the Welsh Revival was attributed to, a, a lot of people attribute it to a man who was uh, named Evan Roberts. At 26 years old, uh, Evan Roberts became this minister of this movement. He dropped out of school at the age of 11 to work in the coal mines, but he developed a calling into ministry and had this hunger and passion for the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the presence of God in a powerful way, and he had a, a prophetic vision that revival was coming and to his, his, his community. And he, one night he was praying and leading a small group of youth, young men and women, a small group. They were praying together and the Holy Spirit fell. And people began to notice from the towns and they came and the Holy Spirit began to minister to them around um, that community. And what we see is the Welsh revival begins with this small group of community. They begin to experience speaking in tongues and worship and confessing their sins. And, and then all of a sudden evangelism breaks out. People confess their sins and they accept Jesus. And, and at this one night, um, Evan Roberts prophetically sees that revival is about to come and he tells this small group to prepare. And he says to this small group of followers, confess all known sin to God and receive forgiveness through Jesus. And then he goes on, the second thing you do is to remove anything from your life that you are in doubt or feel uncertain about. Remove distractions. He says, be totally yielded and obedient to the Holy Spirit and publicly confess the Lord Jesus Christ. And then revival breaks out. The Welsh revival in 1904, this is uh, from a historian and theologian, was marked by a passion for purity. Here's what happens as a result. Holiness was the consistent theme as 100,000 new converts rejected their sinful lives and confessed Jesus as Lord and joined the church. By this change in their lives, um, this change in their lives had a profound impact on culture. It was reported that pit ponies used in the coal mines could no longer work because they didn't recognize the commands of their converted miners who no longer swore, cursed, or beat the ponies. The standard of living went up Health and literacy improved and money that was wasted on alcohol was invested into the home and clothing and food and books. Pubs closed as abstaining from alcohol became the norm and lawyers were left with fewer cases to try as crime diminished and old debts were paid. The streets were peaceful. Swearing was seldom heard. Cardiff Jail had appeared with no inmates. One New Year's Eve week, there was not one arrest for drunkenness. The police were employed to do nothing. This is all history, history, excuse me, historical fact. Over 150,000 became Christian in a six-month period in that small community. When God moved during the Welsh Revival, cities were transformed. And this is what happens throughout history. Throughout history, renewal comes and revival happens. Revival goes viral and it becomes renewal, to quote Mark Sayers one more time. And these, these, these revivals and the season of renewal happens often right after seasons of crisis, 
Let me say that again. Throughout history, renewal comes after seasons of crisis. Brothers and sisters, we are in one of the the most significant crises we've ever faced in over 100 years. Perhaps God is looking to bring renewal. And I want to invite you as a church to stop fighting, to stop bickering, stop making your life about yourself or about the person you want to be president. Stop breaking community because of your your ideology and come together and ask for the Holy Spirit to fill you because he has work to do and we must prepare our lives for the work that's coming. It's not right now. There's work to do right now, but God is preparing us for something. So brothers and sisters, I want to ask you to do three things. Ask for more of his presence. Pause this or whatever you can do. Ask for the Holy Spirit to give you more of his presence. Ask for God to meet you face to face. When Moses met with God face to face, there was a moment where he said no one met with him. No one knew God like Moses. He was a friend. But then Moses has the audacity to say, I want to see your glory. I don't want to just be your friend. I don't want to just meet with you face to face. I want to see your glory. Ask for God to fill you with more and more of his presence. And then when you're filled with it, ask for more of his presence again. The second thing, contend for God's heart on earth as it is in heaven. Contend in prayer for the things that God has for you, for your family, for your community, for our church. Contend for me as a leader. Contend for our elders and our our staff. Contend that God would do what he wants to do in our church and in our nation. Contend. And lastly, brothers and sisters, consecrate yourself. Pursue holiness. Purify your life. Eliminate those distractions. Prepare your, ho- your household for what is coming. God wants to do something beautiful and big. He wants to do it through you. He wants to do it through a creative minority. He's asking you to empty your life so that he can fill it with his presence. Empty your life so he can fill it. And this is it. These are the four things we are about. We are a countercultural community. We are a courageous missional presence. We are going to be formed by the way and word of God, and we are going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. These four things anchor, anchor us as a church. And I want to invite you to be filled now with the presence of God. So would you do this? Would you stand up? I'm going to pray for you. Would you do what we're going to do next week, and we're going to stand together and minister to each other. Holy Spirit, would you come? I invite your presence now to to fill our homes with your life. May our homes be a uh, furnace. May our homes be a place of of wild fire within the spirit realm. I pray that your spirit would pour out right now on the church to, to confess you as Lord publicly, to confess our sin, to rid ourselves of things distracting us, that we, we may encounter your presence for the sake of your purpose. Come Holy Spirit, minister. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church. i
Speak.